0: The battle of Britain is about to begin.
1: V-Crite, we got a tank tractor. Let's follow the radio on V-Crite. I can hear how loud that is. I'm you right now, I've got a couple of views right in front of me. I'm going please.
0: Welcome back to the Lead Pursuit Podcast. Tonight, we're going to talk with another one of the staff members from DVG Games, Benjamin and He is the staff editor on the DVG team. Ben, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm fine, thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Good to have you on the podcast. So people will probably roll their eyes and go staff editor why do we need to talk to the staff editor i mean i mean all he does is he takes the rules to make them look pretty right i mean what what insight could this guy possibly have to give us so i i want to start off with with kind of a leading question what the heck does the staff editor do
1: um i edit the rule books and pretty much anything else that needs that is published so rule books, campaign cards, um, counters, box fronts, box back, um, basically anything that sees print. Um, so we go over that with a fine-tooth comb um, and we look for errors, typos um, of all kinds. So grammar errors, um, historical, factual errors, formatting errors, um, and basically give the overall product a polish on top of it as well, um, so that's basically the main role that I do in in the production of games. Um, and in addition to that, I also um, provide rule support. So on the Facebook on DVG Games Facebook and on Board Game Geek, um, I'm generally the one who basically you know looks at all the questions that come on the forums and insofar that i can help to answer or resolve some of the questions um that's what i do as well so answering questions and providing rule support
0: yeah yeah absolutely and obviously the latter uh if people haven't tried to do that in the era of social media that's a lot of work (laughs) so hats off to you for that because uh I know the number of rules questions that come up on, on the DVG uh, page, and then obviously I, I am not in the Board Game Geek forums as much as I probably should be as a podcaster because I have a lot of other things I yeah, have to do. Yeah, uh, But I'm sure that that becomes a both uh, interesting and then wearying answering the same question uh, sometimes over and over. But uh, that's what... That's what any rule system kind of needs behind the scenes behind all the glitz and glamour of cool miniatures or cool cards and cool boards uh somebody has to do the daily work of keeping everybody informed and on track
1: (laughs) i i guess it's actually the i mean the way i see it right is you know we produce a game we we have a set we have a rulebook right and the rules are as complete and as you know working as we can make it so the game i mean fundamentally the game will not break it will not stop there's you know you will not play up to a point where you cannot resolve anything the game basically breaks down that that nev- that should never ever ever happen right but the problem of course is when you look at the game like one of the air leaders or warfighter and you realize there's so many combinations of cards that you can play that you will get certain combinations or certain permutations you know, in a certain setting. So I'm going to play this action card with this action card with this skill, but my hostile has this, but there's a cover there. And and the rules, of course, cannot cover everything, right? You, you cannot try to cover every possibility um, because then your rule book will be like the size of a telephone book or, or worse like an encyclopedia. Absolutely. Right? And so, I've played those games. Those aren't yeah, fun. <laughs> you know... <laughs> Well, Star stuff, Starfleet battles. I'm looking at you. Uh, but you oh, know. Oh yes, yeah, um, exactly. I, well,
0: okay. So, so that's a lie. I did enjoy Starfleet battles, but I felt <laughs> like I had to go to college again just to play the game, like
1: squad leader. I, yeah, and and I, I think I think I actually love Federation Command a lot better. You know, the the pared down version. But anyway, right. um, but the way I look at it is, it's kind of like you know, in 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 the legal system, you have, um, you have, you know the law, right? People who make the law, the pass the law. So this is the criminal code, this is the civil code, you know, all of that. And then you have the other part of it, which is common law or case law. Right. And these are the these are the things that the law as written cannot cover, does not cover. And when a situation arises it goes to court and you know the advocate and the defendant system, they go and they argue it out and the jury or the judge makes a decision and sets a precedent. So in the event that this happened, you know, in this and such and such a condition This is the precedent. This is my interpretation of the law. Let's, you know, and that sets a precedent for future, you know, for future cases. Right. So somebody,
0: yeah. And that's, that happens in games all the time is what is the precedent? How have people ruled, especially, you know, obviously the leader series doesn't have a competitive side, but especially in, in competitive gaming, when you sit there and say, okay, how have the TOs ruled? in the last, you know, five or ten tournaments, you know, how do they interpret it? Yep. And that then becomes in a sense common law.
1: <laughs> it 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 is it's exactly that, right? So so somebody will ask, you know, i I was playing a game and this happened, you know. Do I deduct this first before I make the attack or does you know, and, and the rules may or may not be clear around that. Um, I would say sometimes the answer is in the rules, but again, to be fair, like if you look at Warfighter it's an eighty page rule book now, right? it would not be realistic to expect every player to have gone through all of that and to know all of that. You know, it, it, it can be quite intimidating. So, you know, but, but, I mean, I'm the editor, you know, I think it's probably not a conceit to say I probably know the rulebook better than Dan does because I have gone over I gone would over hope you are too. as the
0: editor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, because, because, you know, he, he, you know, him and Holly will write write it out like a couple or like one, once or twice and then i would have gone multiple iterations i'm just trying to recall now on on the wall warfighter, warfighter universal rulebook i think i made seven passes through it from start to end yeah. before it, absolutely you know so it's, it's 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 like i don't know it's like hitting the it's like, it's like you know the vietnam war like trying to attack the dragon's jaw bridge you know, you just keep going yeah, and, exactly. How and, and it, you keep just, throwing things yeah. at it. <laughs> we will eventually get it right you, or get close. Yeah, eventually <laughs> you're going to blow it up, right? But, you know, um, but I, I would say actually, um, you know, I've worked on Corsair Leader. I'm working on Zero Leader right now. Uh, I've worked on the last three war fighters. Um, i worked on by Stealth NC. And I think on every single one, just looking at the rule book, I probably made an average of between four to six end to end passes and this is not that this is not counting, you know, just picking up bits and pieces here and there, you know, like, you know, we found something here, please fix this, please, you know, or please clarify this. Um I think I made on average each rule book, I've gone through it about four to six times, you know, end to end. Um so it actually well, be is... be kind to my
0: my input to zero liter. my one optional rule. So I'm, I I kind of wrote it as uh, as Chuck and I were talking off the cuff. And I'm like, yeah, yeah this is kind of what the intended one I think would be really cool. And then all of a sudden he's like, yeah, I think I'll put that in as an optional rule. I'm like, I probably should have wordsmithed that better. <laughs> Benjamin's going to look at that and go, what idiot from Alabama wrote this? <laughs> this isn't and, even proper English.
1: <laughs> um, but that's what I tell that's what I've actually told Chuck so I think I've, I've been working on Zero Leader for about the last six months now it's August I, I think I started in February I know Chuck and Kevin probably started a bit earlier than that in terms of thinking about it and but actually very early on Chuck actually came to me he called me up introduced himself and you know we, we spoke a bit and he said no Kevin said come and talk to you before I start writing the rule book I said sure like here, here's, here's a couple of thoughts and this is what you need to do, but one of the things I t- told Chuck was, focus on the mechanics, focus on the rules, focus on what you want to do, make sure there's the clarity in your mind, don't worry about beautifying the language, we can all, I, no, we will fix that, you know, because the rules are in flux anyway, you don't have to make the rules pretty now, you, it just has to make sense. And it has to work. And that's the difference between DVG and Warlord. Because
0: if you don't edit something for Warlord before you send it to them, they won't be editing it either. (laughs) So we appreciate a company that actually does some editing.
1: That that (laughs) sounds pretty treacherous actually, that's like it, dangerous It's,
0: it's funny, it, it is dangerous and and we laugh uh, in, in the systems that we work with, with Blood Red Skies Cruel Seas, Bolt Action, some of those mm, it is mm. it is funny to see where the effort is put in, and every company is going to do it differently um, as, as people make fun of Games Workshop for not playtesting things and for just playtesting rules by publishing them. Uh, you know, we, we kind of make fun of Warlord for not proofreading anything and for spending more time, you know, putting in pictures or or uh, pretty text boxes and, and not proofreading simple things like the proper spelling of, you know, Lieutenant Commander Thatch's name in the Thatch weave and not spelling it like the Thatch you would put on top of a roof, yeah. uh, you know, and, and things like that, that, that. It's just funny to see what gets past uh, a variety of editors. And I guess my background of... Of having having to edit too many documents in government service, uh, I I tend to try to concentrate and catch those things first, just out of out of my own anal retentive personality, wanting to make sure that that eyes are dotted, t's are crossed. Uh, yeah, and then I'll get to the rules at some point. <laughs>
1: I mean, here's the the thing, right? You know, you you have people who design games and, and, you know, and and their creative thinking is brilliant, right? You know, they've come up with this, this mechanic, this concept, this idea. Let's, you know, I mean, I was just, you know, talking to a colleague earlier today about the Peloponnesian War and this mechanic where you play one side until it gets too powerful and the game makes you switch to the losing side. You know, and, and like, wow, how, right. how do you do right. that? You know, like, yeah, you actually change sides if, if one side becomes too dominant, you know, um, which is extremely mind boggling. Um, but here's the thing, right? Game designers are game designers. They may have designed a brilliant game and everything in their mind is clear as a unity. But writing a rule book is a form of technical writing. You know, it, it, and, and technical writing is hard. It's actually not that easy. You know, that's why you have specialists. No, it's not
0: fun. <laughs> there it's, is nothing well, fun it, it, like me. it is in game design. <laughs>
1: yeah. If, if you're not a technical writer, it is not fun, you know. So, but it is, it is a form of technical writing and it actually can be difficult to express a concept that is very clear in your mind in three or four dimensions even. And I have to put this down in English on a piece of paper, and explain it in a way that's clear unambiguous and can be understood by somebody else and you very quickly realize right that your audience your readership really has such a diverse level of of reading ability you know you and 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 absolutely yeah and and sometimes you know when i see a certain rule i say, I, I i i understand what you're trying to say here but Will somebody else understand what you're trying to say here? You know, it it is it. You know, so let me try to rephrase it. Let me try to, you know, reword it. Or and sometimes it ends up being a bit more long-winded, you know. But
0: right. It, uh, and right. again, it, at least it covers the bases. It, it it makes it obvious what the intent is.
1: But you have to balance it because legal documents are long-winded because they have to be. They have to be absolutely precise in specifying or describing that term or condition. No, which is you know which is like describing a rule right um, but then that's why you have lawyers who are very good at reading that kind of technical document <laughs> exactly but your average reader your average player may or may not have the ability to read it and and they might be confused they might take a guess at it um, and of course you have you know people who just like I'm going to just skim through it and watch a couple of videos and then I'll just ask questions online you know <laughs> Um which is fine, you know. Yeah, it, yeah. Well, which whatever. I think is kind of
0: kind of where we are in the in the gaming world today. Is there's so many people that are going to buy a game, hit YouTube up, look at somebody's playthrough of a couple of of you know parts yeah. of the game, and and that is how people consume games now. I find it funny every once in a while, and and I'll use my frame of reference, Blood Red Skies. How mm. many people from my generation or older who aren't used to doing that? They'll show up and say, "Hey, wow, these." These rules are kind of confusing, and the, literally the first question we all ask is, "Did you go look at YouTube for a playthrough?" <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, why would I do that?" I'm like, "Because that's how <laughs> the rest of us all consume games now. We 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 look at it and go, I 'I didn't understand that.' There's not necessarily a a frequently asked questions on the on the uh, the the site to to cover that. You know, how am I going to do this? You know, and we just go find a playthrough and it explains it.
1: Yeah, I'm. I mean, I. I mean, I would normally advise, you know, players that if you want to watch a playthrough, do it with caution because one, you don't know <laughs> oh, if yes. the people making the video, right? You don't know if the people making the video actually got the rules right, and two, if and and this this happens quite often, more often than you think, right? If if let's say it's a review, so the game hasn't been officially published or the game is in publication, but it's not been released, right? So so you no, know, we of course we send you know, um, customize and print and play counters and components out to, you know, some of these bloggers to, to make a preview video, right? So they are using, you know, possibly an earlier iteration of the rule, if not components. Exactly. So, the and, and sometimes you do get last minute changes, not, not very much. And I try to lock it down on Dan and Kevin as much as I can to say, are you sure you absolutely want to do this now? You know, like and then, yeah, yeah like we yeah. Were, we, both, we sometimes
0: there's a problem of getting the information out too early that people play a pre-release version and they go oh this this is either great or it's yeah. terrible and something changes yeah. dramatically you know <laughs> i
1: mean we have had we've had people you know preview, uh Warfighter shadow war and then people who then bought the game and watched the video and said oh look the bots different the bots like completely different yeah you know i think yeah, because yeah, that, you know that's a
0: that's a risk you're going to have in in the current era to to get things out and to get people to review stuff ahead of time and then suddenly you realize part way through your development that oh wait we need to change that that's not that's not how we wanted that mechanic to work and it could be
1: a core piece of it like the bot like yeah. the AI yeah, but but I do have to point out though that mm, these are not last minute mm, I mean definitely not frivolous but these are not like last minute change of mind it's usually there's a mechanic we can do it this way or we can do it that way and either way actually works and we have tested both and we're just you know you know one is better than the other we just can't make that determination until like at the very 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 last you know like this is the near final production copy you have to make a call which you think works better you know um, because we have play both, and there's very little yeah, yeah, separate absolutely. one from the other. So, okay, let's lock it down. Let's do this. Let's do A, but the preview version may have used B. And then well, that confuses people because people read does. the book, they watch it the does. video, and they say, why why is the rule not like the video? And, you know, well, did you see when the video was timestamped? And, you know, and, but but this actually brings me to another, I guess, you know, it's a nice segue to another point that rules actually do evolve as well. Um, obviously, we don't change rules as we go, like it's not arbitrary, but for example, if you look at Warfighter um, and the way the game expanded from its origins in you know, Warfighter Modern, and then you know, um, the European theater, the ETO, and then the Pacific. And every time I think that Dan has released a new iteration of Warfighter, He's always wanted to add something new. Like, this is not just a reskin of the previous one. You know, it's not like we just took all the soldiers and changed all of them from, I don't know, Third Army GIs to, you know, US Marines in the Pacific. Like, let, let's introduce something new. Let's put a new mechanic in. Let's introduce a new concept. Let's introduce this thing called Hardy, you know, for environment. Let's, let's put, and, you know, to kind of expand the rule set and expand the gameplay. Um, so, what happens is that the rules actually evolve. You know, um, so. absolutely, and
0: I've have seen it in the leader series, uh, especially the Air Leader series piece, which is both wonderful and frustrating to me because I I love uh, when when Chuck and I were discussing some of it offline and and talking about some some things that I I hold sacred in the old original Hornet leader and Thunderbolt Apache leader from years ago under GMT's brand that mm. didn't make it into the the later uh, DVG versions uh the things that 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 he he and i talked about doing i think it's awesome my my frustration is there's times that i really wish they were back fit to the parts of the series that i love like hornet and phantom leader and so you know playing uh, playing hornet and not feel and feeling more on rails in that game than i do when i pick up corsair or play through some stuff in zero leader and i sit there and go when can I get these things re-released with <laughs> with these updated rules? Because they're, they're cool mechanics and they're, and they're things that I think, sure, they make the game more complex, make it a little bit slower, but they, they add the, the, the taste or the flavor of aviation that I think um, when you, when you go to kind of the, the first part of the series to Hornet Leader just isn't there. I mean, all of a sudden it's a, it's a bunch of pointy nosed airplanes that may have different descriptions and different weapons loads, but they don't they don't feel as different as uh, when you get to Corsair leader and Zero leader as some of the aircraft do. So I think that's that's always a challenge for you guys to figure out when to backfit things.
1: Yeah. I, I think I mean when I remember like again when we were talking about Zero leader, you know, you know in the early at the early stages 6 6 8 months ago and I remember, you know, I I mentioned this. I told Chuck like, you know, think about what you want to do and you know, rather than just look at Corsair leader Start from scratch. Start from nothing. Write the rules from the ground up. You know, I mean, you can use, you know, Corsair right. and you know Hornet and the other rules as, as a reference, but start from the ground up and build it up from there. And as you build it up, put your own things in. So you know, Chuck has talked about you know the, you know his mechanics and all the new things that are going to, that are going into Zero Leader, um, and I think. That's really the cutting edge of, of, of the innovation of the game. So it's familiar enough to people who have played Corsair or, you know, one of, I guess, Hornet or Phantom or IAF leader, you know, the the the, 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 the leaders with the aircraft. Um, so it's close enough to be familiar, and a lot of the concepts are still there, you know, the fast and slow aircraft, you know, the use of. Um, in, in Zero Leader, it's called Samurai Spirit, but it's the equivalent in, in Corsair Leader is you no know, gung-ho, right? You know, gung-ho. Exactly, gung-ho. You I'm all excited that there's an equivalent to that. <laughs> you can do, you can. You know, but then he was, he's also added other things, you know, the resilience of the planes, the robustness, the mechanics. Um, everyone has asked about the kamikazes. I don't know why, but...
0: I, I, it's a <laughs> cultural thing i don't know why it's it's like you can take the entire pacific war and boil it down to kamikazes for some people and that's and that's the mechanic they want because they, they've asked the same thing in blood red skies they're like hey so what trait card do i use to simulate kamikaze i'm like I, I i don't know man somebody somebody call andy and ask him because it doesn't make sense i don't i don't care about that in my pacific
1: battles <laughs> yeah and i remember thinking you know how how, how are you going to make this work because the the the, the japanese forces basically remo- re they resorted to kamikazes when they were losing. You know, you, you generally don't f- sacrifice Absolutely. your pilots. Yeah, you're not going to start off with loot. that on day one. <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, you have to find a way to f- make it work in the game, right, without penalizing the player, but well, the play yeah. would have you'd have to be like pretty desperate to be using a kamikazes in order to i don't know like get the victory points or to destroy the american carry or whatever you know it it.
0: and i think that's what fascinates me the most with zero leader and i've talked to chuck about it i talked to to both dan and kevin about it is that yeah. i am i am curious not so much curious yet to have actually k- jumped into the kickstarter i'm sure i will <laughs> but uh i i am curious enough to to want to know how do i simulate that period of time, reward the player for making tough choices, but don't make it feel like no matter what your act of desperation, you're still going to lose the game, you know? And and how, how have you tweaked the victory conditions and things to, even though you're inevitably losing the war uh, on a, on a machinery level at this point, just sheer numbers. uh, How do you at least get through and and say you did the best you could with what you were handed?
1: Yeah. But I mean, to his credit, I know Chuck has done a lot of reading up a lot of research, a lot of, I think more importantly synthesizing what he's read you know drawing on his experience as you know a veteran player of dvg games and then synthesizing in his mind this is what zero leader is going to look like it, it's it's almost like i, I don't know I'm, I'm just thinking of an analogy from the movies you know you've always had the same two or three directors do this movie of a franchise and then let's just get this Totally different, not even Maverick, but just completely. I, I was different just going to say J.J.
0: Abrams and Star Trek. That, that to me, if if it changes that much, uh, then then I will be happy. And, and I'm not saying that as a spear against DVG Leader Series games, but I think if, it will take Ye, it in it, a totally it, new, different direction
1: that's not a bad analogy actually because every director you know or in this case every designer brings his or her own sensibility his own creativity his own ideas and you know credit to dan that he's he was confident and i guess what's the word for it he was um yeah he was confident enough to say look you know chuck has a very good idea behind what he's describing he needs to work it out but we will support him but let him run with that you know, and Kevin will backstop him on the one hand and Ben will backstop him on the other hand. So Chuck is not completely alone. It is still a team effort, but it's also Chuck's effort. And let's put it all together, you know. And I, I think I, I, think they lucked out as well because, you know, like I said, I, I actually come to this as a ex Japanese high school exchange student. So I actually speak the language and, you know, I can advise on that. So it, it was so funny. I I think initially, for example, this is this is a funny story. Um, you know, they came up with a list of pilots' names, right? And of course Chuck said or or I think Kevin or Chuck said, no, no, should we put the, the, the Japanese characters, should we put the kanji in for the names, you know, for flavor? I said and I said, Why not? If you want I'm, I'm happy to do the translation for you. You know, so we, we put the, the pilots' names in there. Um, you know. Ogawa, you know, and then I can give you the kanji for that, the, the the Chinese characters which are used in Japanese and very specific pronunciation as the family name, right? Ogawa. So I can give you that, like that's easy for me. So I think initially they went and researched and they came up with a list of, you know, pilots names, like these are going to be all our pilots. And I, I looked at them and said, okay, these are fine, I can, I can translate this. These, there's a whole bunch here that's really strange. These are very, I mean, these are not necessarily wrong, but they aren't very common Japanese family names. No, these are really, really uncommon, you know. Um, I guess the equivalent might be, oh, let's look at some American GI names. We have Jones, we have Smith, we have Taylor. Oh, and we have a Chimanovsky. <laughs> then you have you know? Rabinowitz. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we have a yeah, Rabinowitz exactly. and, and then <laughs> we have a Jacquinot, you know, like, okay, it's, yeah, that's exactly. not to say like, do you like how... we wouldn't have a Jakino or Rabinovitz, but, you know, John and Smith is <laughs> more common, well, more mainstream.
0: Well, and and so at least the, the funny thing for me, for having spent you know too much part of my life in Japan, and I love being in Japan, I love the culture, I am yeah. absolutely horrible at navigating my way around <laughs> because of the interface of, you know, katakana, hiragana, and kanji all together and just when I think I know what something says, I look at it and go... Why is there one character I don't recognize? Because I haven't studied well enough. <laughs> yeah, there, so there, there, there is. We'll guarantee you doing all that. You but,
1: know, but it, it was so funny because I I remember I I I pull out a whole list of names. This and, and I remember telling Chuck, you cannot use these these names. These have to change. Right, like he, over here, there's a Minami. Minami is a girl's yeah. first name. Now, not in yeah. any not in any universe would you have a Japanese <laughs> pilot in the World to call called Minami. You know that exactly. Yeah, exactly. So so you know, and and I think I ended up. And he said, you know what, smart. I like you. Give us the names. You know, like so. I think I and and I I, I think today I've probably given them like maybe seventy or eighty names. Oh, I've, good, I I think good. I think I've probably named that, like that. That's a cool
0: level of detail. <laughs> things that are that are both uh, culturally and at least within the rails of what you can determine would be historically correct are, are, yeah. are pretty I accurate mean, we, you, know? we, you always we, have to you need filler in a leader game of call signs names things like that
1: no we, we've done i think we've tried to so the, the thing is that we've pulled out all the stops on this one zero leader so we've got a new designer in with with you know a breath with like a breath of fresh air like very good solid ideas that builds on Corsair Leader, it builds on the lessons we learned from Corsair Leader, it builds on the things we know worked and we liked on Corsair Leader, right? And we look at a lot, we look at all the feedback. We don't necessarily always respond, because sometimes, you know, I, I don't, I honestly don't know how to respond to this without making it sound antagonistic or sounding like we're picking a fight, but we get it, you know, we, we hear your anguish, we hear your frustration, we know what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And we see all of that feedback, right? So we took all of that, we distilled all of that. And, you know, we're trying to make it as good as we can. And it's not just, it's a better gameplay. You have more planes, I think more aircraft types, more campaigns. Um, we, we, we are trying something new with the rule book, you know, for example. So, so I actually, what we, Chuck and I were speaking, I think last week. And I said, how about this? Let's put in some quotations just for flavor. And so now you know and and we you know i pulled out maybe 12 or 15 different quotations from um miyamoto musashi right you know and his book yep. of five rings and <laughs> exactly and i have a copy right behind
0: me <laughs> and,
1: and 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 we put we put some of some of the quotes in there you know just just for flavor just just to add to that that what's the what's yeah, the word well, for well, it? You if know? you don't
0: understand samurai spirit and some of those thinkings you're you're not going to understand why the the Air forces, and I'll say that of both the the army and the Imperial Japanese yeah. Navy, uh, acted the way they did and the things they did, and it's you know it's it's fascinating to me to to watch Chuck uh, work through some of the things and talk through some of it, and to see that there is a historical understanding that I think sometimes has been missing from at least the the Air Leader series uh, to to dig a little bit deeper and to to not just take it on the the. The top level historical summaries, but to really um, dig in and, and ask the question of why? Why were these aircraft used, or why? Why were these aircraft seen as not very effective? Because they should have been, if you look at them, you know, just the pure, you know, capabilities. Yeah, you know, and, and what what led the Japanese to not use them effectively
1: sometimes? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think we were, we actually started out we were just kicking the idea around, you know, and I just made some a few things up, you know, like, you know, um, I don't know, you know. Um, you know, the enemy shouts but the mountain remains silent, you know something that sounds kind of profound but, you know,
0: and I'm thinking
1: (laughs) look, if if you're going to quote, let's go quote from the best, let's just go to, you know uh, Miyamoto-san and you know let's get some of his authentic things in and yeah, find yeah, where exactly. it fits in the rules and just do that i um you know i it, i think that even extended to the the design of the cover i don't know if you remember the initial design of the zero leader box was actually kind of a khaki green yep, um, yep. that, that was it,
0: my favorite but that's okay you, you, you guys know, have gone and, through a and couple then, revisions but and, yes. then, and then <laughs> they
1: went to the fire truck red and then it went to the red cross, red and white.
0: Yeah, because okay, I was about played... to say so. The, the The bright red was not my favorite.
1: <laughs> I, I I remember telling Chuck, you, you know, although red kind of suits the theme because of the you know the the Japanese rising sun and the color, you know. But consider this: six months from now, when the game is out and sitting on the shelves, you're going to look at your shelf of all your leader games, and the leader games are predominantly blue, brown, and green. It's one of these three colors, and then you have this fire truck red sitting yeah. there, sticking out like a sore thumb, you will look at it and, you know, you will weep, you know, um, although, and, and then I think we played with it a bit and muted it down, and, and I told him, look, you know, it's perfectly all right if it comes off this pinkish, you know, this salmon pink. Because here's, here's the thing. When you see Pink, right, in the context of Japanese in you know, the culture, it the first thing that comes to mind is the cherry blossom. Cherry blossoms. A, exactly. exactly right. The cherry blossom, I was right. going to we... preempt you and say that. Yeah, exactly. It's very <laughs> emblematic of Japanese culture. And here's where it links back to the game, right? The suicide planes, the Oka, is Japanese for cherry blossom. Exactly. You know, exactly. the Kamikaze planes were I called think... cherry blossom. Yeah.
0: So... I think that, for people who have not spent time in Japan or or, or spent um, you know really delved into Japanese culture, I, I think it's interesting for for them not to always catch some of the connections that are there because um, it's a it's a very complex and very different way of looking at at the world. And so when when Westerners jump in and they think of the iconography or or things like that, they don't always think about um, the things that are. That are intuitive to us color-wise and are different in even different countries in in Asia, but but especially in Japan. Yeah. I I always tell the story of eating soft serve ice cream, and being an American and walking in there and thinking you know what flavors you're going to get, and you're like oh, that's a that's going to be grape or that's going to be orange, and it's either cantaloupe or uh you know red bean flavor, you know all these other funny things that you're just not yeah. expecting <laughs> in the in the Western palate because <laughs> you because you chose by color,
1: <laughs> black black mochi or. A oh, green oh, tea. Yes. Oh, yes.
0: Yes. Well, and green tea is is the other funny one. Like, oh, this is going to be lime, and you're like, hmm, that is not lime. Although uh, you know, th- th- then we could always you know throw in the uh, the uh, Malaysia Singapore favorite of durian, and we could <laughs> we could add that flavor in.
1: Oh, yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's it's. It, I I think for, for something as exotic if that's the word for it as let's say green tea ice cream the thing is that it is palatable if you've never eaten it before and you eat it for the first time it's not entirely bad you know it's just
0: strange no it's just it's a just, surprise like, yeah it's like
1: <laughs> it's not it's bitter not bitter it's not sweet it's not really salty it's I don't even know how to describe it but it's actually good but it's weird, yeah, but the, good, the, you know? <laughs> it, it, that it, that's one of the, the funniest things about
0: um, any traveling. And, and we talked a little bit before we started the podcast about how important it is to travel and how yeah. so many people across the world don't travel. Um, and, and just the, the, the different uh, things you take for granted or different things you assume are the way it happens everywhere in the world. And then you travel and you realize just you know, how amazingly diverse and, and fascinating uh, other uh, other cultures and other areas and other ways of doing things are even as simple as what soft serve ice cream flavors should be. <laughs> yeah,
1: I I, th- I think we we have actually I think a lot of thought has gone into a lot of aspects of zero leader. I think for I think far more than most players would have realized. Um, I mean currently as we said I've gone through the rule book uh, three times already, and it's not even formatted into its final. You know with the graphics and the pictures and examples all put in you know this is just a raw text format and you know i've already gone through it three times so it, it's actually been worked out quite extensively we've actually had a bigger than usual play test group of as well of, of you know diverse and experienced and inexperienced players giving it a go and and giving their feedback and, and all of that's still ongoing you know so um I mean, we've even tried, I've even tried, for example, using different variations of, um, for one of a better word, the, the names of the aircraft on, on the cards. So, you know, in, in following the Starling Corsair leader, you know, you would have, you know, the F-6 um, Hellcat or the F-4F you know, Wildcat or something like that, or SBD Dauntless, right? So, you know, following the same format, you would have the, you know, A2M, you know, Zero, for example. You know, um, and or the Ki 60, 60, 80s, 86 Frank, right? Frank or Oscar, right? So we would do that, and then I said, let's let's try what if we do it using the original Japanese name, the Hayabusa and the Hiel Hie and the, you know, um, what would 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 the player understand that? You know, would players get it if 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 well, it's?
0: Th- yeah. That's one of the toughest things to to. I don't know how to describe that
1: <laughs> right it, it's no so and, and I mean I mean I, I actually put it to uh to uh what do you call it a smoke test right so I just asked my play tests my we, we have a team of um, play testers for a dvg right um, and I just put it to them and say look you know would, would you guys know the difference between one and the other if you know if we call it the if we went by code names instead, yeah. Of if, if we call it the Ki Forty Three Hayabusa, would you know off the top of yeah. your head what I'm referring to? And unless you actually knew it very well, and you say no, yeah, that's the Oscar, right? You probably wouldn't, you know. But if I said most the Oscar- most people, I
0: think, would mess it up unless they are are, and I hate to call them grognards, but unless they there is a certain level of equipment knowledge
1: that that people would want to want to get to, I guess. Yeah, but but even then, off the top of a head, you might you will not always remember that unless you are actually that fluent with, you know, as a historian yeah, or that interest, right? Because if I say, okay, can you give me the original destination for the Nell, or the Betty, or no. the Val? You're like, oh, you're gosh, like gosh, who, who would? That. Yes, exactly. Who, 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 who my would? my brain has to wrap oh, itself around those. Yeah, it's um, you know, I think it's the I G D three A, right? That's the you know, yeah. it, <laughs> in most, if, even I would hesitate to like, you know, I would have to search. <laughs> You know? Um, well, it's, so it's, me- it's like I was
0: doing some Vietnam research last night, and I always have to wrap my mind around the fact that the AA-2 Atoll is actually the K-13 or the R-3S, and that there's two designators for the same missile uh, that I have one single U.S. designator for. <laughs> so yeah, there's always that the, fun in any kind of wargaming.
1: Yeah, the Atoll, right? That's that's the NATO call, call sign. And, and then But then right, the same exactly. thing. So so we we've, we experiment with all of that, you know? And then we say, hey, look, if we call this the Nakajima or the KI-43 or the Hayabusa, nobody would know what it means. Like, you know but if you call it the oscar and the frank and you know the zero and the Vels and the judys you know uh, you know not all players would know immediately what they are but most players who have some passing knowledge of the history right. like you know if if you're just even passingly familiar with coral sea and midway and you know the philippine sea you would probably know the different different you would know your judy from your val from your betty's you know um yeah because that's that's the commonly used name right so so that, that was one of the yeah that was one of uh that was one of the things we actually looked at
0: um well let's take a quick break and when we come back we're going to talk a little bit more about what might be in the dvg pipeline and some uh some classic cardinal sins or trip ups of uh game designers as they're putting things through the editing process we're back so we're going to talk about a couple things that have been seen out there in the wild on the dvg website and on facebook we know about zero leader we know that there's a lot of work being put into that for the kickstarter we know there's currently expansions that will be delivered later on uh, in the year early next year for other leader series for iaf for zero or for uh, misspoke there for b17 for phantom leader uh also there's Spruance Leader out there. Benjamin, you wanna say anything about Spruance Leader and the the work being done there?
1: Um, I think at at this moment I'm just looking at what Dean is doing and just providing just a little bit of guidance and advice, but I think he's working through most of the, shall we say, heavy lifting on, on, on his own at right now and I think he's doing a pretty good job of it. He he gives quite regular updates and, you know, collates quite a bit of feedback from um all the interested players um I, I think i think there's a lot of interest in that because spirits leader really speaks to those of us who grew up in the cold war right you know the 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 shall we say the red october red storm rising era of,
0: exactly <laughs> of war
1: games you know so so it, it is true right you, you you would speak to somebody from that time and we'll talk about oh yeah i remember six dates and oh yeah i remember hunting the krivaks the krivaks was such a pita and and you would instantly know a, what I'm talking about. A bunch of us were
0: laughing. Yeah, we're we're <laughs> laughing about playing harpoon and I think that it took me longer to read the rule book than to actually <laughs> play some of the games until you, you... You tried to simulate something that, and I forget who was talking about it. Somebody on one of the podcasts was mentioning you could simulate an entire convoy crossing. And that's awesome because now you're going to play for five days just to get your, your convoy through all the, the Russian submarine blockades and surface ship yeah, right. actions. We, and
1: yeah, we, we did actually play, I, I did play Harpoon actually, the, the third edition. And we did actually play the Red October scenario at the end. So I'm just trying to recall. I think it's a couple of frigates and the alpha hunting the Red October, protected by one L.A. class right. and one what's the other class? Um, the the old you know the older class from the six eight eight that was that you right. know was retired. So um, we actually played through that, and it was actually brilliant because the the player who was playing the Red October, um, it was she actually you know this was in high school and she actually captained the Red October like nobody ever did you know she used the um excellent the, what you call <laughs> it the caterpillar drive right so like like nobody could p- like figure out what the noise was and they couldn't lock on it and then she blew the tanks and went to the surface and you know the russian submarines were still hunting her like i don't know in the second thermocline and you know up on the surface the red is merrily sailing away into the sunset because you know she blew tanks and into the surface <laughs> and for excellent. all all the world looking like another you know like a tugboat or something <laughs> anyway yeah that was brilliant you know um and, well, I remember- and, and that's
0: i think we have a lot of memories of, of yeah. games like that from the 1980s yeah. 90s and, and and that whole era of of force on force naval action uh yeah. that it's interesting how some people have then tried to extrapolate that into the the modern era and it's tough to to write the scenario or to write the the kind of uh action that would would do those things so i think it's easy for us to to fall back into the the cold yeah. war era you know, naval force on naval force and, and kind of pine for that level of wargaming.
1: <laughs> I, I think that's a lot of work we have to do now just to make sure it's accurate as well. So, you know, if, if, and, and especially if you want to do things like, okay, we're going to create a, you know, a, I don't know, rate Storm Rising scenario, um, you know, mid 80s, right? So, okay, mid 80s, um, USS Nimitz, right? Which carrier air wing was on the Nimitz? You know, and then if somebody puts carrier Airwing 5, like, no, carry Airwing 5 was never on the Nimitz at the time. You know, Think, things like that, you know, you, you, you just need to go in and make sure that, okay, if it's Nimitz off the top of my head, make sure the top haters are there. Or make sure the Black Aces are there, because that, you know, um, that's, or the Jolly Rogers, you know, the, the Skull Squadron, right? Um, Because historically, that's actually... You like, are
0: obviously somebody that knows their naval aviation from that that period way too much <laughs> which we, is awesome
1: <laughs> yeah that's you know that's i think that's nostalgia that's that's the time we grew up in it you absolutely know, the, the, the Cold War, is. Yeah. you know and and i i remember somebody one of my classmates told me just to you know um one of my classmates told me like this amazing book It's called red storm rising and you know just go just, just go look for it buy it and read it you'll love it and I said okay fine whatever went to the bookshop you know found it bought it it was at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon went home 6 o'clock started reading it did not stop till 2am I kid you not I finished
0: yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's <what>
1: <laughs> yeah you know I'm like okay well it's oh it's already 2am really and I didn't eat dinner you know uh, <laughs>
0: Well, I think that's that's the the level of interest we that some of us had during that yeah. period in in the what if the, the what if things yeah. went not the, the way the politicians and everyone was pushing it you know what if what if somebody did did cross the line? And I think there's even today there's a lot of nostalgia for that with you know, look at uh, tabletop games like Team Yankee. So yeah. they've, they've had to really delve back into a lot of 1980s and early 90s equipment that we forgot about that people haven't modeled in 20 or 30 years. Uh, and go back and, and create a, a game system that really is based around, in a sense, ancient history. <laughs> history that is long past, but what if it, we had to fight Team Yankee, uh, Soviets versus NATO, and, and take that whole fight?
1: I mean, it, it's scary when you think, right, between now, where we are, and the time of the mid-80s, that passage of time that elapsed is about the same amount of time that elapsed between that time and the Second World War. It's about thirty five years, right? 30, yeah. 35 or forty years, right? It's around that. It's it's you know, and you look back and wow, where did the thirty-five years go?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I feel old when I look back and I go, Those are some really cool pieces of equipment. I realize, yeah, those are seen as old by some standards. You know, we were, I was playing Team Yankee the other day with friends yeah. and we were laughing about playing, you know, quote, upgraded M1 Abrams and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like a the first <laughs> off the line Abrams with, that might actually have a night sight, you know. I'm like, ooh, I can shoot twice per turn, I feel all important, you know. No, uh, it, so it's it, it, it's it's kind of funny when you look at that stuff compared yeah. to what we what we model now for modern combat.
1: I mean I remember the first time I saw the F eighteen Hornet, you know, at one of the air shows I think it was it was actually a Royal Australian Air Force Hornet that flew all the way over. And and, and I, I remember seeing like, oh wow, this is the Hornet the first time, you know, like and it and at the time was like mid to late 80s so it was like just newly operational you know like like the f-35 right. lightning right. is to us now like it's just only starting to become operational and then you know i think a couple of years ago they were they've already started retiring the hornets you know the first and second Absolutely. generation yeah. <laughs> all, all, all that's left now are the super hornets the third generation right, hornets. right. So, so that's, that's... Yeah, doubly
0: frustrating for those that flew the f-18 you're like you're retiring airframes that i actually have time in <laughs> I, I, you start I, really
1: feeling old <laughs> i mean that's i i remember seeing a report you know in the 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 australian royal australian Air Force. somebody was saying there that you know the, the the jet pilots now who come into the replacement training squadrons that's where you you know train to fly the hornet right specifically because you're already qualified on jets but this is just to train you to fly the f-18s and the airframes of these F-18 trainers that the pilots are in are older than the pilots themselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's in the U S air force, there are three generations of pilots at, with some people I know that have flown the B fifty two, so both they and their grandfathers have flown that airplane, and that's yeah, that's pretty amazing when you think about it, you know. So they, uh, that airframe that took us all the way through the Cold War and is still still relevant and still being flown today in, in a variety of missions. Be- well, I, because they won't build or design something like this now, you know. Yeah, and, and you I just suppose. you couldn't.
1: I mean, even if yeah. even
0: if you wanted to try to design some kind of. Uh, you know, intercontinental bomber. There's too many technology <laughs> constraints, too many, too many of all these different things that you'd end up with a, a program. As as we joke about, it, like the B twenty one program, uh, that <laughs> yeah. you might as well build a space shuttle. It would it would probably be easier and uh, and less fraught with cost overruns and design overruns and people trying to put yeah. you know ten pounds of crap in a five pound bag. Um, yeah. Unlike something like the B fifty two, where they're like, we just need a bomber that can drop a lot of conventional or can go one way with a nuclear weapon. <laughs>
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Well, cool. Well, we've been talking for a little bit under an hour. We've talked a lot about uh, the Zero Leader. We've talked about editing. We've talked about a variety of different DVJ, DVG game uh, projects out there. Um, but what I'd like to concentrate on a little bit is, is guidance that you have for budding game designers and for people that think, hey, you know, I've got a really cool idea. Where should I take it? What should I do with it? Um, tell us a little bit what you think those game designers should concentrate on when they get ready to bring their idea, their project, uh, their baby in a sense, to someone like uh, Dan and Kevin at DVG Games or any one of the major game houses. Where where are those big slip-ups? What are the things that people traditionally get wrong?
1: Um, I'm just trying to think here, like, how, how do you even answer a question like that? Um, I think yeah, if there, if there's more things that
0: you can do wrong than things that you yeah, can do right. I guess yeah, is the tough part. So <laughs>
1: I think it starts again with an idea, right? You no, know, I want to make a game about the Peloponnesian Wars, right? So what's involved? Do your research, know your history. You know, above all, you have to be historically accurate, right? If it's a historical game, so you know, do your research, right? Start with an idea. Always try to have clarity around your idea, so you should know exactly what's going on. With what you want to do at any given time and if you've seen dan's approach to designing games right um he starts with the theme he starts with the idea he builds it up from there and then once he has the narrative and the theme you know i want to make a game about world war ii japanese you know pilots flying off aircraft carriers you know and you know and it's got to be solitaire and it's going to have all of this it's going to have targets and you know once you have that Then you start figuring how to turn all of that into game mechanics, right? So how do I want to represent the targets? How do I want to represent? Oh, we're going to have cards for, you know, aircraft. Do I want to have separate cards for pilots and aircraft? You know, do we want to do that? You know, why do I want to do that? So you have to kind of work through, you know, your idea of in your mind, what you want to do, right? And, And then convert it to the mechanics then that's where the research and development part comes in. You have to play through and try and, you know, figure out what works best. You have to balance things. Oh, how do you want to represent the attacks? You know, throw a die. What die? D10, 2D6, 3D6. Like These are all mechanics, right? These are all the details. You have to work it out. Um, I think where most games get stalled is at some point the what's the word for it the excitement of designing it wears out a little and you you're down into you know the (laughs) valley of darkness and you just have to trudge through and work through all the things because you know a game has a million and one moving parts you have to make sure all the parts interlock and work and do not jam you up right and you just have to work your way through all of that and that can be quite tough you know it, it is actually quite absolutely a yeah. and
0: and it's not fun I, I i think sometimes it's the everyone concentrates on the fun of crafting the initial mechanics and, and putting some of the historical background in and then when you get to the grind of making sure your mechanics are all consistent and and still are both narrative and easy to understand um, and I can only speak this latest effort working on uh, Vietnam playtesting for Blood Red Skies and, mm-hmm. and trying to craft and and build some rules in there. You you find this never ending set of as I'll call it whack-a-mole. You're you're out fixing one problem and then when you do that you break the interaction with another rule, so you have to go back and look at that rule. And it's it's very detailed work and it's not a lot of fun sometimes, but. Yeah. It's what makes for a, a fun and, and easy-to-play to system that doesn't contradict itself.
1: <laughs> exactly. And, and I think if you're lucky enough to have people to support you. So, you know, as part of the DVG family, you know, we all have each other to, you know, counsel, to advise, to to support, to help get through. So, you you don't you know. So, I know Chuck's going to go for his Valley of Darkness, but I'll tell him you don't have to do it alone you can give me some stuff to do i can help you flesh out some things you know by all means write your rules in point form please you know you don't even bother being grammatical just work it out you need to work this out and make sure it you know it makes sense it plays well and then play test it give it to your play testers you know don't even worry about it give it to me in point form give me 48 hours i'll give it back in semi complete sentences and we go from there Yeah. You know, so <laughs> if you're, if you're lucky enough right to have a support you have people to help you and to you know, we, we share the load and we we'll we get through this together. You know, we we'll get through to the other side. Um I mean it's it's happened it, I mean I've gone through that the same thing myself. You know, when, when I you know when, when Dan, you know, asked me, Oh, we want to do a couple of expansions for Warfighter like do you have a couple of ideas you want to do? And I said you know, the two things I've absolutely wanted to do from the moment I discovered Warfighter is, one, I want to do something to do with the resistance, either the French or the Soviet resistance. And two, um, I want to do something about, you know, how the the British Royal Commandos used to charge about the U-boats to try to save the boat from sinking and try to recover the Enigma machine and the yeah. code books. Yeah. That's what I want to do in Warfighter. And he says, you know what, go for it. Go do it. So I had to sit down from scratch and work out, okay, what are we are going to do? We, you know, I need French agents. I need, do I want to represent the SOE agents, you know? And so, so actually let me take a step back. So initially, you know, when, when I pitched that and I told them like, I want to do a resistance, but I'm kind of thinking, do I want to do Soviet resistance or do I want to do French resistance? And then Dan gave me a look and says, you know, the Eastern front is probably a whole core box on its own. Yeah, be you careful know? what you start. <laughs> and 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 okay, I I am not going to say any more about that. But there is stuff in the works. So you know, and and I excellent, thought that's absolutely excellent. that's absolutely brilliant. The Eastern Front warfighter, you know, it is a whole box in its own, right? I mean i'm just thinking the siege of stalingrad would be like anyway that would be like six million cards anyway so you know so i said (laughs) That's that's a
0: few too many cards even for me
1: yeah so so let's focus on that so you know and and i worked through that and i said look this is this is the flavor i'm going to bring to the marquee statistically the civilians will not be as powerful or as strong as the soldiers, you know, your regular GIs or Marines, right? The statistically they'll be, but they make up for that with a broad variety of skills. They have more stealth skills. They have more scrounging skills. They have more adaptability because that's what the resistance did. And then when it came to designing the missions, like I'm thinking, let's have less frontal attack missions. Let's have more, again, you know, what, what does the resistance do? We deliver underground newspapers. And that's so mundane. Why are we delivering underground newspapers? But that's exactly what the resistance did. That's the because flavor, Because it's a right? key part of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's <laughs> the flavor. You know, we want to smuggle the RAF pilot out.
0: You yeah, know? everybody wants the big missions, the the, uh, the fancy smuggle the pilot out, blow up the bridge, you know, take out the Gestapo headquarters. Um, but no, really it's <laughs> it's not. But
1: I, I actually snuck one in that I also secretly wanted to do, not so secret anymore, which is to blow up the railway gun yeah yeah (laughs) because we're talking and in my mind i was thinking this is actually the northern part of france close to normandy this is where the resistance cell is operating and that's where that's where the german rail guns would come along and try to shoot across the channel of course in practice in history i think they never really worked because they were so complex they would like fire once and then break down but (laughs) but within the game right this is within the the like this is like medal of honor but on the tabletop right so i'm like yeah, let's, I mean, let's. <laughs> now,
0: let, we, now we know where the, the real inspiration is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's you know, let's have the marquee go in. And, you know, and, and then we. I remember talking with Kevin. Kevin handheld me through that. And he said, okay, what kind of gear? And I said, you know what, whatever they could find. So German guns, French guns, British guns, you know, and how are we going to do that? We'll, we'll put two flags. We'll put the German flag on the German guns and then we'll put the French Free Forces flag on, you know, all of them for example, you know, and we kind of worked through all of that. So it for me, it it actually showed that Dan was confident enough in, you know, Warfighter being such a sound and complete sandbox that we could now take innovative risks with it. So I did Maki, you know, which was kind of a departure, at least in flavor. Um, David Mackin, you know, one of my co-designers, he went and built a whole expansion on... No, Cthulhu, right? Relay, right? And then he built right. one on Castle Frankenstein <laughs> and he built and he with with, you know, the articulated frames, the whole diesel punk feel of it. And Dan said, Go ahead and do that. No, go experiment with it, build it up, play it out, make sure it's tested, make sure it works, put it out, let's see what the audience reaction is. And so far it's actually been, I think, all positive. So now David has other things on his mind and I've other things on my mind and you know, based on lessons learned and you know, but I, I I went through my valley of darkness as well. You know, I went through a phase where I designed it all out, and then everyone came and took it apart. You know, you know, Kevin yeah. will look at it and say, "This is wrong. This is broken. This yeah. doesn't quite work." This, you know, <laughs> and it's, but that's okay because all of this is what makes the game better. Um, I I actually rem- I, I don't. I actually won't mind saying this. In one of my first conversations I had with Dan, what, probably about th- two or three years ago now you know, um, you know, when, when, you know, Kevin asked me, like, would you, would you mind helping us out with, you know, this rule book and that rule book? So, so I think the first two rule books I did was Corsair Leader, Down in Flames, Locked On, and then after that Pacific War, Warfighter. Um, and along the way, you know, I, he introduced me to Dan, I spoke to Dan, and, and I remember we talked a bit and Dan said, what I want you to do is to make this perfect. And, and I remember thinking, no small task. That's there. going to be that's going to be our prime directive, right? Make the game perfect. And while you know it's more aspirational, um, I don't think it's a conceit to say that's something we aim for. That's something we we strive for, you know. And and it's it's always frustrating. Like you know, we've gone over it. I've gone through the rule book like eight times. Kevin's gone over it. Holly's gone over it. Dan's gone over it. I've given it to the playtesting group. They've gone over it. You know, it's gone to print, it comes back, I open up the box, flip open the page, and there it is. You know, that's that typo everyone missed. <laughs> you know, 15... Later, or that, that's editing one oh one, we're like, how did we all all of our eyes missed that? Well, that's you how know, human brains fif- work unfortunately. fifteen pairs of eyes missed it. But you know what? And and then when, when I dig into it and I talk to them, we actually figured out how it got there. What happened? Oh, somebody went in and made a last minute fix after we right. signed off on it. And like, okay, so from lessons learned, no more, absolutely no more last minute fixes after it's been signed off, because yeah, exactly. that's, that's what gets you in trouble, you know? Um, but that's always been our, that's been my prime directive, you know? Like make the game perfect. Um,
0: well, that's, you know, a, that's not, a good maybe not so point. Much,
1: not so much spare no expense, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Um, that that's a good point to end on, uh, because I think that that there's it's a never, never ending series of revisions with an end state uh, of of perfection in mind that uh, that we all have to kind of get to, whether we're designers, whether we're assisting with playtesting or whatever, sculpting uh, that that finished product to be as good as it can be. Uh, and not just kick it out to the gaming you know, world I, to go, ah, we'll fix it with an errata. We'll fix it with FAQs. You know, I, we'll we'll play test it once we release this idea.
1: You know, I, I will tell you when we find a typo, especially a silly thing that we missed. Nobody is more frustrated with it than Dan himself. You know, I, I remember. You know, <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> I think it was Shadow War. I, I remember I found something. I I pinged him, Dan. You know, just to double check, there's this problem here on this card. You know, was this intended? And then. You know, two seconds later he pings me back. No, that was a typo, and then I ping him. Then I could hear your sigh all the way here across the yeah. end, uh, across the <laughs> exactly. Pacific. You know, I'm like, I, I can. <laughs> then, the like, ocean, oh. I can hear it. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, in actually, that that's quite true. Nobody's more frustrated and nobody's more demanding than Dan himself. You know, even 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 if he doesn't come out and say so. Um, you know and I, I fully support that Let, let's let's set the highest standard we can and we strive towards that and do the best that, that we can you know and the fact that he does spare no expense to produce all these upgrades and reprints for irata you yeah, know that's and, and that's the yeah. thing that's always
0: good to see a, a company invest in uh, yes yeah. and it's reprinting it putting it in the, in the boxes
1: and getting it out yeah there. or or if you have a problem with your game you open up there's a damage in the box you no know, problem with the cards. Email Sarah; she will send out a replacement, yep, no questions asked.
0: Yep, Sarah is she always would. willing to hook people up with that and, and make, that, yeah, uh, exactly. make that problem exactly.
1: So, so you know, I mean, look, the investment in, in 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 supporting your customers, you know, pays off, right? That's that's because absolutely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, thanks for uh, talking for an hour. We could we could carry on for quite a while. Uh, I know it's late where you are. My uh, my real world job is pinging me so we're going to have to cut this one shorter than probably the listeners and I would definitely like to do so we'll have to have you back on again Um, but thanks for taking the time to chat with us and talk about dvg games your work as the staff editor and then a little bit of the insight to the behind the scenes so we'll, we'll definitely have you back on another time
1: absolutely my pleasure